0: life with dr william baker i'm your host dr william baker this week i want to talk about a big issue that i've seen um with a lot of the preachers on tv and a lot of the preachers i hear on different radio avenues you know different media mediums um I really have spent a lot of time in my life understanding the Bible, uh, the, the Latin, the Hebrew, uh, some of the Greek back and forth, translations, um, and understanding the Old Testament, New Testament, you know, to get to the meaning of what the Bible is. That's important to me because I put my faith in the Bible And what it says. And, and, you know, I I heard some things a long time ago I thought were questionable when I was younger. And I just kept digging into it. And, you know, I was right. Uh, What was being said by the preacher was absolutely wrong. And a lot of what is being preached is absolutely wrong. And the way they talk about society is absolutely wrong. Um, I don't know why. They get in a habit of um, the preachers out there and, and the different denominations tend to get in a habit of preaching a certain way. And they wonder why, you know, they don't have um, good numbers in the congregation, why people don't want to come to their church. Uh, what's wrong with their church? Well, perhaps you need to understand what the Bible says, you know, in the Old Testament, New Testament, what it means, the historical aspect. But let me let me. Um, let me really get into the meat of what I want to talk about today. Um, it's, it's going to be useful more than just with the Bible. You'll be able to use this in a lot of different uh, situations. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't get my doctorate because I, you know, thought it was going to be fun. Um, I did enjoy it, but it was more than that. It was to uh, prove my knowledge and understanding my superior knowledge and understanding of uh, what I was reading and how it was being interpreted. And we have to remember, you know, the interpretations of the Bible also uh, change with each new Bible that's out there. Um, It it changes a little bit with the interpretations based on historical findings. So let's get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, you'll like I said, you'll find this useful. Please tell your friends about it. Um, You know, if they want to listen to it, that's great. I'd certainly appreciate that. But um, anyway, uh, the Bible is perhaps the greatest writing ever produced in the history of mankind. The book itself is a compilation of writings about the nation of Israel and more importantly, Christ Jesus. Many who read the Bible take it at face value. To truly understand the Bible, one must look beyond the surface To the origins of Israel, as both literary and historical understanding are necessary conditions of covenant Bible interpretation. So you have to have that knowledge. The Israeli culture was not uniquely that of Israel, but intertwined with culture from the many people Israel came in contact with. You know, early on, the nation of Israel moved around, they had contact with a lot of different cultures. The true origins of the chosen people go far back beyond written record. Making sense of the history of the Bible is left to the archaeologists and historians that unearth and interpret the discoveries. Now, for those that believe in Christ Jesus, the Bible is more than a book. The Bible is a guide for living that's divided into the Old and New Testament. When reading the Bible, it's important to have an understanding of where the information came from how the information was collected, and who was collecting the information. It is with certainty we can say that information contained in the Bible came from areas around the Mediterranean. We know that with certainty. Now, archaeologists have uncovered, recovered numerous artifacts from various locations around the Mediterranean in hopes of identifying lost cities, civilizations, or identifying significant happenings as they relate to bible teachings now there's a belief that archeolo- archaeological remains offer us the prospect of grounding historical statements in something more solid than testimony you know it's not just somebody saying it you know people want proof and archaeologists are key to uncovering the past their understanding and knowledge as it relates to potential areas for excavation are extremely important in finding lost and buried objects. You know But it's not always the archaeologist, um, excuse me. Buried objects may consist of written or non-literary items. They don't have to be written. It is important to distinguish between archaeology and epigraphy epigraphy say that again is different than archaeology in finding a written object we have an actual written account from someone from the past non-literary items such as broken pottery fragments may contain images that describe events or could simply be a simple decoration we have to determine that you know based on what we find and where we find it at the context Such finds are very important as the archeologist documents their findings. This consists of research and interpretation, which brings us to the issues surrounding the archeologist. The archeologist tells us stories about the past that are just as ideologically loaded as any other historical narrative and are certainly not simply a neutral recounting of the facts, there's always biased the archaeologist tries to build a story around the objects. For example, if an archaeologist finds a spoon, the archaeologist is going to try to create a picture of the people who used the spoon and how they were using it. Now, the archaeologist will also try to make us understand the types of foods consumed using the spoon and whether or not the spoon was perhaps used in other ways, such as digging. We should remember all religious data including the bible inscriptions iconography and other archaeological data are pertinent to the attempt to understand the religion of ancient israel unearthed objects of a written nature stand on their own based on the understandings of the language from previous discoveries the issues surrounding written objects The scientific and in this theological quest is bias. The bias in analyzing and documenting a non-textual object is the same as finding a written artifact. There's a perspective developed upon creation of the artifact that is cascaded through every level of understanding the artifact. For every level of involvement external to the creation of the original artifact adds another layer of bias. When reading and understanding the Bible, we, have, we wish to have the clearest understanding possible. This brings us to historians. Many historians are in disagreement as to the validity of the Old Testament. Historians have noted numerous discrepancies in the Old Testament when compared to numerous ancient royal texts and other archaeological evidence that has been found. It's noted that methods historians use are limited, they're subjective, and do not allow for a neutral and biased examination of the materials in question. Attempts to examine a writing of theological nature are being conducted using a scientific framework and method. In essence, one is using a limited body of scope and knowledge to examine a work that is derived from a source that is beyond scientific explanation and dismissed when the body of work does not conform to a manner of inclusion to the scientific framework and method. If it doesn't fit, they're gonna toss it out. Does this mean we discard the materials historians and archeologists have uncovered and interpreted? Absolutely not. God worked his will in creating the writings that composed the Bible. In this way, the integrity of the writers as individual personalities was carefully preserved by the special acts of inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. When we read the Bible, we can be confident the material contained therein is exactly as it's supposed to be. The artifact recovered may very well indeed tell a different story. The difference between the historical relevance of artifacts should not be used to discount or discredit the Bible as false. Historians who interpret artifacts to try and discredit the Bible's major failure is not, excuse me, is, yeah, not in seeing that the interpretation of such events inspired by the Holy Spirit. The interpretation of an artifact is dependent in regards to the validity of the Bible. This will be important to remember as we move forward in discussing the influences on early Israel. Now, the Bible gives a very detailed account of the origins of man and lineage as it relates to the nation of Israel. There is the God who breathed life into creation. From this viewpoint, God started everything in original creation. God created original creation. It was started by God. That was original creation this theological standpoint is perfectly acceptable as it relates directly to religion and faith however for the archaeologist and historian this is problematic so we start to look at it a little bit differently and as you can see you can start to apply this to many other contexts Historians and archaeologists are looking at this from a non-theological viewpoint. We need to understand the Bible is theological and historical. The Bible tells us from a theological perspective how the nation of Israel was created. The nation of Israel did not always exist. There were many peoples who influenced Israel as Israel journeyed to claim what had been promised. Long before claiming this promised land and before there was an Israel, the people were only semi-nomadic wanderers, lucidly roaming the map of the years, unattested by the contemporary record and leaving behind them no tangible trace of their passing. The semi-nomadic wanderers started their journey far away in Mesopotamia. As semi-nomadic wanderers, there would be few remains left behind at a site to examine, you know, being semi Nomadic, everything was important to take. The structures built would have limited durability due to the semi-nomadic nature of the people. Other objects, such as cloth, containers, utensil remains, would be seldom found as they were important objects and must be preserved for continued use When uh, you know and taken when they were relocating to new areas, new lands. Little evidence would remain. Written evidence of Israel's history did not exist until... Many years later, before which little is known, prior to written evidence, some of Israel's history can be learned through the writings left by those whom Israel encountered. These are also but a few civilizations that influenced Israel's culture. One of the great civilizations that came to influence Israel, you know, that Israel influenced were the Assyrians. The Syrian Empire was located north of Babylon and south of Urarta, Urartu. Urartu depends on how you want to say it. It is a U after the T, and east of the Mediterranean seaboard. Powerful kings such as Tilgath-Pilusser—you almost want to put an N in there—but it's Pileser. Would be a more correct pronounce, but it's the E and the other E. It should be Pilzer. Dominated great areas through the conquest. It is mentioned that historically, conquered nations were expected to pay heavy tribute and were punished when unrest broke out. But Tiglath, Pauser, Pilzer habitually deported the offenders, and incorporated their lands as provinces of the empire. So it kicked the people out and kept their lands. Sounds like what some, some places try to do today. You could see how this would be effective. The new policy of deporting offenders meant the offenders would essentially lose everything other than what they could carry if they were allowed to take anything. Previously, you could demonstrate you know, and be punished. When the punishment was over you'd go back to paying the heavy tribute now if you demonstrated you lost everything those who were thinking about demonstrating would now have a second thought as they could potentially lose everything and have to be you know forced out not have to be they could be forced out, and lose everything they don't know what they would get to take with them uh, the tactic was employed by future assyrian rulers the extent of the assyrian conquest was far-reaching Western campaigns impacted the Mediterranean seaboard to include Damascus, Jerusalem, Gaza, and other cities and cultures as far as Egypt. You know, if we look at the policy that the Assyrians had in regards to deporting demonstrators, um, the area that the Assyrians took was relatively large. With the numerous peoples in the area, we know not everyone would be content under this foreign rule. As individuals, we would not want to be ruled by foreign occupiers, so we know for a fact that there were disturbances. Those contributing to the disturbances would be deported from these areas, creating a large number of refugees, in essence a semi-nomadic group of individuals, since they could not go to other areas controlled by the Assyrians. With the Mediterranean to the east, the deported individuals would have to reside outside of The cities or wander farther to the east. These people would not wander in isolation as the groups would encounter each other as they attempted to live. This intermingling allowed for cultural exchange even though that was not the intent of the interactions. The cultural exchange took place on much subtler levels. Some instances on the subconscious level by simply being in direct exposure to different cultures, customs, and the ways of life. The same would be true for those that resided in conquered cities. As a result of the Assyrians taking control, those who resided in the cities were exposed to Syrian culture and customs. This would include the weaponry, clothing, spiritual belief, political ideas, to name a few. The exposure to foreign cultures for those residing in cities and the deported also included Israelites as they continued their journey to the promised land. Now, fragmented and dispersed as Israel might be, God will bring Israel out of all countries and will bring them back to their own land. Even in their own land, outside influence would continue to exist unless they were to live in isolation, which would be nearly impossible. The conquest by the Assyrians are a good example of how influence can be spread so greatly. Th- through the conquest of many nations, the Assyrians expose themselves to other cultures, and because of the numerous conquests, exponentially increase their exposure. Excuse me, as they move from area to area, they take fragments of previous cultures, and perhaps even some of the conquered peoples with them in their ranks. We can see from this there's a continued exponential expansion of cultural influence due to these exposures. Now, this would apply to any nation that engages in conquest, but there's another factor we must consider. Trade. One such people that directly engaged in trade on the seas and inland were the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians embraced Western Palestine and were sometimes referred to as Canaanites. The seafaring people could reach far beyond the inland trade routes. The Phoenicians were exposed to far more cultural diversity in foreign civilizations due to their advanced shipbuilding capabilities. The advanced maritime capacity of the Phoenicians gave them a great benefit in terms of commerce. Due to the Phoenician ships, the Phoenicians did not have to manufacture or grow any product. The Phoenicians could provide transportation for any adventurous nation or entrepreneur if a deal could be struck. Outside of simple transportation, Phoenicians could produce goods through direct purchasing transport their wares using their ships and sell them for profit at any of the ports where they engaged in trade. Again, we see the potential exponential increase in cultural influence through the trade of goods and wares as these goods and wares may have had long journeys of their own to reach this point. Phoenician influence allowed the expansion of numerous cultural influences due to the wide area of which the Phoenicians touched. With such influence, They may have had a hand in the city construction at Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. The cultural influence extends beyond mere trading and technology. Cultural influence also extends itself to spiritual influence. Nabal was a deity whose popularity grew due in part to the Phoenicians. Various points in Phoenician history tell us that they actively promoted Baal worship and built temples to the deity Baal. When the temples were built for Baal, they were built in cities which may or may not have had temples to other deities. Israelites who lived in the cities which may have had formal temples to Yahweh now were exposed to another temple serving a different deity. Could multiple deities exist at the same time? Multiple deities did in fact exist at the same time as we know through ancient texts. Individuals started to question their belief in their deity with the exposure to multiple deities. Worships of the Phoenicians storm god Baal at the expense of Yahweh's culture occurred in cities that had multiple temples and allowed the worship of different deities. Baal was known as a rain deity. Some refer to Baal as a storm god or a god of nature. For the time in question, one can see how this would be appealing based on the limited knowledge at the time. The harvest and flocks were very important for the survival of the people. Rains were needed for the crops to grow and other vegetation to grow so the animals may eat. Without this rain life, it would become very difficult as people starved. In an attempt to grow... And have a successful harvest, many people would pray, make offerings to Baal. Some Israelites would also worship Baal due to the influence of others. This follows a pattern of Israel's troubled past, as the Bible details numerous instances of Israel questioning their belief or lack thereof in God. Conquest did not always allow for the coexistence of deities. There are also numerous times throughout history when the conquering people destroyed opposing temples. One such instance was when Jehu lured the priests and worshippers of Baal into the temple of Baal and raised it to the ground with everyone inside. Now the consequences for opposing deity and temple could be devastating, but conquest did not always mean the local temples would be destroyed. Some of the temples would be converted to worship new deities. Another deity was mentioned, which is a bit of a curiosity. Now, Asherah is is a supposed Israelite goddess that was widely accepted and known through the symbol of a form of wooden pole now female deities represented the female principle in the fertility cult and were associated with the seasons specifically the change between fall and winter with spring and summer now we have a female deity who can be associated with the harvest and regrowth in the spring just as ball supposedly brings life to the crops through rain Now, under the reign of Abahan, whose mother was Maka, worship Asherah. Pagan rites, including sacred prostitution and homosexuality, were free to flourish. So these are other influences the Israelites would be exposed to. We know the Israelites believe in Yahweh. In areas where there is Asherah, worship, Israelites are now exposed to pagan rites and rituals, which may appear similar in some manner to customs surrounding Yahweh, but are not. They're not the same. This brings us to another part of Asherah worship, which is sacred prostitution and homosexuality. Nowhere in the worship of Yahweh is prostitution or homosexuality allowed. It does not matter if if the prostitution is supposed to be sacred. As an Israelite who worships Yahweh, why would you want to partake in an unclean act in front of the Lord? One can only imagine that the Israelites who had knowledge of or actually witnessed sacred prostitution or homosexuality of you know, the Asherah worship would experience shock and fear. This would definitely be something that would influence Israeli society. There are arguments around the nature of Asherah. Is Asherah a goddess or not? The text recovered, as well as limited biblical references, shed little light on the subject. The instructional evidence points to a cult symbol. This brings us to another point surrounding the archaeologists and historians. The information we have about historical events is based on recovered artifacts and writings. Now, while we place now while we note it, there's a, a period of time uh, which, which extends before the writings, there's a few artifacts which exist which you know lend to further explanation of this time period. This could be due to the environmental or, or fragile nature of the artifacts. Another possibilities are artifacts which uh, have yet to be recovered, which can be provided you know provide further details for simply no artifacts to be recovered. you know we don't know what's out there. Um, You know, uh, art, archaeologists and historians, you know, archaeologists can keep looking. It doesn't mean they're going to find anything. We don't know what's out there. These items were very fragile. You know, we have learned there are many factors and influences that go into understanding the Bible. So when one is reading the Bible, there's, you know, there's a clear understanding of the intended message. The Bible was created as a result of combinations of numerous writings. Artifacts and other texts exist that provide a history and further develop the context around the origins of the people of Israel. The history and religion of a people can intermix, but do have a separate and distinct standing on their own merits. History provides us a picture into the past based on the interpretations of writings and artifacts. Religion is theological in nature and may contain historical elements, but also contain elements outside of historical understanding, as history is evaluated using methodology and science. This, this distinction does not make one more true or false than the other. The history of the time based on the artifacts and text found give us insight to the author's mindset who actually created the text which comprise the Bible. You know, it gives us that understanding of who the person was and their mindset when they were writing the Bible. But they were writing supposedly from their own experiences. We can never truly understand the text from the author's perspective, but we can achieve a closer truth. We can peel back the layers of bias and interpretation to reveal a truer understanding of the Bible. Some may question whether or not this matters. The Bible shows us the numerous times the people of Israel did not follow God's command and the consequences. For us, it is a matter of faith, eternal salvation, or lake of fire. Now does it matter? You have to ask yourself that. Does it matter now? Now we know what happened all throughout the Bible when the nation of Israel started to stray from God. You know, God got them out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness, you know, and there were times that they didn't have much to eat, but he provided food and then they were complaining and wanted to do their own thing and create their own gods. And it did not fare well for them. He called he killed a lot of people from the nation of Israel and started with but a loyal few. So, this helps us understand the Bible in a, in a better context when you put that all together. And remember what you hear on the radio or what you see on TV when you hear the preacher preaching. Think about what the preacher is saying. Think about this person's background. What knowledge do they have? What limited knowledge do they have? I hear a lot of erroneous statements. They're reading the Bible. Yes, the Bible says this, but does it mean that? It is written exactly the way it's supposed to be written. The issue we have as Christians and others who are non-believers, are we interpreting it properly? What does it actually say? And where is it coming from? Not in terms of you know, location, that is important. But is it old testament or new testament when christ was born and he came to this earth god's son manifest in flesh and died on the cross the new testament the covenant was fulfilled when he was born the old testament put away you will see some elements of that in the new testament that they want us to follow but it is certainly not everything the old testament is based on the law which god knows we cannot keep the new testament is based on your faith it is based on one's faith he wants us to have faith and believe in him if we accept him believe in him believe he came to this world died on the cross took in our sins you know, and raised himself from the dead, overcame Hades and, and, and hell, and rose to heaven. The perfect Lamb took our sins upon himself. But again, it comes back to archaeologists, historians, understanding what's been found in our interpretation and in our understanding. So you don't have to go with that stale old church there's a new message out there i'm actually going to be starting um, some youtube here shortly videos i'm going to be uh, preaching and explaining about that uh, the bible the the way it should be um who knows we'll we'll see how many um, actually watch the videos we have an audience of around the world so Uh, It will be interesting. If you have any questions or comments about this, you know, as always, please let me know. Um, I will do my best to get back to you. And again, God bless. Uh, Go with God. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, another Christian life with Dr. William Baker in the podcast this week. Thank you.